Kathy. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. Uh, good to see you brave the elements, come out on a, a bit of a bleak and rainy day. Uh, well, some of you may have noticed that I've had a haircut during the week. Um, um, Kathy mentioned that it was about time. <laughs> um, I, I do ask that you go easy on me. I am feeling a bit fragile because a couple of people have said that it looks like a mullet. <laughs> and uh, I detest mullets and, and I'm horrified by the idea that I would be wearing a mullet. Uh, anyway. <clears throat> well, weddings are something that we've seen a fair bit of, of at SWEC over the last few years, haven't we? Uh, when you come to a church full of uh, as many young people as we have, uh, that's something that's going to happen, isn't it? Um, people get matched up and then they get married. Uh, and a wedding is a wonderful time, isn't it? Of course, there's a lot of work and a lot of hassle getting ready for the, uh, uh, by the bride and groom and, and their friends, helping in organising and preparing. But when the day comes... It's a wonderful thing seeing two people begin a new life together. And then when we get the invitation, uh, don't really get it in the mail these days, do you? But you get that email or you get that invitation on Facebook or whatever. There's a sense in which it's, it's an honour to be invited, isn't it, to a wedding? That the bride and group think enough of, of us and our friendship to want us to be with them and to share that occasion with them. And unless we really can't go, perhaps we have work that we can't get out of or something that we can't change, we're going to make sure that we say yes, aren't we? Yes, I'll come. What we won't do is just ignore the invitation. We won't throw it in the bin if it's a paper copy. That would be hugely insulting and dishonouring to the couple, wouldn't it? But that's exactly what happens in our story that Jesus tells. It's a parable, meaning that uh, it's a story with a reality behind it. And in this parable, a king is ignored and insulted by those who he invites to the wedding, to, his, to the wedding of his son. He ends up having to go and to pull in everyone that he can find off the street to fill up the guest list. The reality that Jesus is talking about, we are told, is God's kingdom. And we are on that guest list. But being on that list does not guarantee sharing in the wedding banquet. Jesus' challenge to us through this story is how do you respond to this invitation? Will you be counted among not only those who are invited, but more importantly, will you be counted among those who are chosen, who actually get to sit down and eat with the king? at his wedding banquet. Let's pray as we come to God's word. Father, we thank you for this parable that Jesus told. We thank you for uh, the way that Jesus challenges us and encourages us about how, 
how the king, how God delights and, and, and yearns to have relationship with us. He wants us there at the wedding feast. Father, we pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning, challenge us, encourage us. Amen. I've got four points this morning. The first one deals with um, those who are invited but who reject the invitation. They end up binning the invitation. We're looking at the first part of the parable, verses 1 to 6. Jesus starts off telling us what this story is all about at the very beginning. He says, verse 2, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. Jesus talks a lot about his kingdom uh, in the Gospels, uh, in Matthew's Gospel, in all the Gospels. Uh, and there are two aspects of uh, the kingdom, the present and the future. God's kingdom in the present is, God, is the life of the church. We are the visible expression of God's kingdom on earth. And then there is a future aspect, uh, which is talking about the new creation. When Jesus returns, his kingdom will expand, not just, to the not just be the church, but his kingdom will encompass the whole earth, the whole of creation, where everyone and everything will bow down to King Jesus. But in this parable that he's talking about today, in the wedding banquet, the focus is on, predominantly, on the here and now, on God's kingdom here on earth. And Jesus is talking about people responding to an invitation to come to the wedding, which means entering the kingdom now in this life. So Jesus tells a story about a king who gives a wedding feast for his son, verse 2. Verse 3, Jesus says, The king sends his servants out to bring those who have already been invited to the wedding feast. But they wouldn't come. Imagine if you get an invitation to a friend's wedding and you just ignore it or you just refuse to come. That's a slap in the face, isn't it, of your friend. Now what if you were invited by a king and you refused to come? What an insult. That's what happens in this story. But amazingly, the king takes the insult on the chin and he perseveres with his rude guests, potential guests. Verse 4. Then he sent some more servants after getting initially rejected and said, tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and fattened cattle, have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But once again, they thumb their noses at the king. Notice that there are actually two levels of response. All of them ignore the invitation a second time. One group insults the king by just going home and choosing work, getting on with life over honouring the king. 
Verse 5, this, they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, one to his, another to his business. But then there's a second group who really ramps things up, and it's in verse 6. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. Who are these people Jesus is talking about who are invited but refuse to come? Well, to help us to understand any part of Scripture, uh, including this parable, it's helpful to always look at the context. What's going on in um, the store, in other passages around this passage? If you've got your Bible open, just take a glance back at the last chapter, Matthew 21. You'll notice that the last part of Matthew 21 is another parable, the parable of the tenants. We're not going to go into it now. But if you know that parable, you remember that the tenants of the vineyard end up killing the son of the landowner. At the very end of that parable, it becomes clear that Jesus is talking about Israel's leaders, Pharisees and the chief priests. And here, straight after that parable we hear pretty much the same message. Those invited kill the servants of the king. Jesus is aiming at the same target. Israel, but especially Israel's leaders, Israel's religious leaders. Now, Israel are God's chosen people in the Old Testament. They are the ones invited to the banquet. They are invited to enter the kingdom by putting their trust in God the King. But if you've been with us over um, previous weeks, you'll know from one Samuel that we've just been going through, and actually from the whole Old Testament, that by and large Israel refused that invitation to follow God as their king. They either ignored God and went their own way, like the first group in the parable, or worse, they actually killed God's servants, especially the leaders who killed God's prophets and messengers. So Jesus here in this parable, in this first section, is condemning Israel's leaders especially who are continuing to ignore the invitation to the wedding. They're ignoring the invitation to be God's chosen people, to accept him as their king. But friends, this message is also for us. Even though Israel are the ones who get this first round of invitations, as we'll see in a minute, we also get an invitation in the mail. We are also invited to the wedding and we have to decide as well how we are going to respond to the invitation. Hold on to that thought and we'll come back to it. Well, Jesus shows God's patience and mercy in how he is willing to overlook the first insult by persevering and inviting them again. He says the second time, my oxen and fat calves are ready, come and eat and share in the feast. God wants us to share in his joy. 
He wants those invited to enjoy his abundant blessings. He is a giving God. He is a God who longs for us to share in relationship with him. But Israel stubbornly refused and went their own way. Second point, the king eventually responds. His patience eventually comes to an end. Look at verse 7. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burnt their city. He's talking specifically here about those who kill his servants, the second group of uh, people who refuse the king. Jesus says elsewhere that those who live by the sword will die by the sword. God's judgment is coming. But there's another aspect to God's judgment. Jesus doesn't talk about it directly, but it's woven right through this parable. Not being part of the banquet is also an act of judgment. Remember that the banquet represents God's kingdom. Not going to the banquet, staying outside of the kingdom, separated from God, separated from his love and forgiveness, that is an act of judgment. In the first section, those who refuse the invitation are bringing God's judgment on themselves. They are voting with their feet. They are making the decision to have no part of the kingdom. So sometimes judgment is very much our own decision. Again, this applies first and foremost to Israel, but it also applies to everyone else. It it applies to us who are sitting here today. Now, the idea of judgment, God's judgment, has fallen on hard times today. It's not very fashionable to talk about it. People even get embarrassed or angry about the idea. How can a loving God also be a God who judges? But what Jesus says in this parable is that judgment is actually our choice. God can't force us to accept the invitation. If we choose to ignore it and choose to live without God, to live as my own boss, then we've got to live with those choices and God allows us to live with those choices. Well, back to the story. After the king deals with those servants who kill his servants, sorry, who deals deals with those who get the invitation to kill his servants, he's still determined to fill the seats of the banquet. And this time he is met by a very different response. Third point is that those who accept, there are those who accept the invitation. Have a look at verse 8. Then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. Anyone you find. Not just Israel. Not just royalty. Not just the nobility, the rich and powerful. Everyone. 
Jesus says the same thing in different ways, uh, in different ways many times. He says to the crowds, anyone who is thirsty, come to me and drink. He said, God so loves the whole world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. In Romans chapter 10, Paul says, anyone who believes in Jesus will not be put to shame. God's invitation is for everyone and it's for you and me. And it's significant who ends up coming. Have a look at verse 10. So the servants went out onto the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. I think it's deliberate how Jesus puts that. Notice it's the bad before the good. Come to the banquet. Because he wants to shatter our myths about what it means to be part of the kingdom. There are no moral entry requirements. There's no one standing at the door with a checklist. Do you measure up? Are you good enough? And friends, I'm so glad that there's not. Because I, for one, would have no chance of getting in the front door if there was. Secondly, the church would be absolutely unbearable if it was full of people who only get in because they're good enough. Imagine what it would be like. It would be full of people who are self-righteous, snobbish, full of themselves, constantly judging everyone inside and outside the church. But those who come to the banquet are the bad and the good. With an emphasis on the bad. Because they know that they need God. They know that they are in need of healing and of hope and of salvation. Jesus said, I have come not for the healthy but for the sick. Imagine two people getting an invitation to to a wedding. This invitation is from a famous person. Person one who gets the invitation is a self-made man, proud of his achievements, self-satisfied and snobbish. He's confident in his abilities and confident that he's able to deal with anything that life's thrown at him. He's a bit disdainful of the famous person who invites him They're probably only famous because because he was born into it, he says. He bends the invitation. He ignores it as soon as he gets it. Person two, a woman struggling to get by. A single mum working two jobs, lacking self-confidence, fearful of what life might throw at her. Struggling with addictions, struggling with self-worth, knowing her failures and her sin. She can't believe this famous person would invite her. She joyfully says she'll come to the wedding as soon as she gets it. 
God's kingdom, friends, is full of people like this woman. Now, I'm not saying you're like her or I'm like her in the details, but we are all sinners. And the church, more than anywhere else in the world, is the place where sinful, broken people are at home, welcomed, accepted by God and each other. In Jesus' parable, the wedding hall is filled with these guests who the king brings in from the streets. But there's one final piece of drama in the story. There's one guest who doesn't read the fine print on the invitation. That's our fourth point. He ignores the terms and conditions for coming to the wedding. Pick it up in verse 11. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed that there was a man who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. And things don't work out so well for him. Verse 13. Then the king told his attendants, tie him hand and foot, throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, what's going on here? The issue is that this man tries to get into the wedding on his own terms. He ignores or rejects the king's requirements for entry. I call this point rejecting the terms and conditions, but that gives a bit of a misleading picture. Because if you've ever bought anything online or or, um, thought about uh, what you might buy, you might have seen that you get pages of terms and conditions that are fine print that you need a magnifying glass to read and there are like 10 pages of it which no one ever reads, right? But what's going on here is different because every guest to the wedding would have been crystal clear that they needed this wedding garment to get in. That was a... They needed that to attend the banquet. We don't really get that idea because nowadays no one says on their wedding invitation you must wear a black tie or something like that. But the best equivalent I could think of was remember back a, a year or two ago to COVID, the height of COVID, when you had to wear a mask everywhere. You couldn't get into a shop, you couldn't get on a bus or a train without a mask. Imagine during the height of COVID, you get a wedding invitation. And on the invitation, it says that a requirement of coming is that you respect the bride and groom by maintaining social distancing and that you wear a mask at all times. But maybe you decide, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go in without a mask. In that case, you're making a deliberate decision to ignore the bride and groom's desires and requirements for attending the wedding. And that's what's going on in Jesus' parable. Now, what's Jesus talking about? What do wearing the wedding clothes represent? Here's a man who's trying to get into the kingdom by his own way, by God's way. What's God's way for getting into the kingdom? By putting our trust in Jesus. 
by looking at Jesus on the cross and saying, you died for my sin so that I don't have to die. I trust in you and you alone for my forgiveness. I contribute nothing to my salvation. It's all what you have done. I cannot save myself. I need you to save me and make me right with you. That's what it means to get into the banquet Jesus' way, the King's way. Think about wearing the wedding garments. In the parable, the guests can't get in without the right clothes. They're the clothes the King gives them. No other clothes will get you through the front door. The man who gets thrown out might have had really impressive threads, beautifully matching uh, ensemble, uh, expensive, impressive. But it doesn't matter how good they look if they're not the king's clothes. You can't get in. Jesus is the only one who gives out the king's clothes. If you want to enter the kingdom, you have no choice. There is no other way but to come through Jesus, to come his way. Well, finally, Jesus ends off the parable with one short verse, and it's a challenging word of warning. Verse 14, For many are invited, but few are chosen. The word, that little word for makes it clear that this follows on from the story of the man about the wedding clothes. is directly related to it. He was amongst those invited, but he ends up not being chosen. As with all of Jesus' parables, the punchline is the very last bit. That's the key, that's the clue to how we to understand this whole story and the take-home from this parable. And I want to finish off by thinking about how that applies to us. Every one of us here has been called by God the King. Called is the same as being invited in the, in the parable. But Jesus' warning is that just because you are called doesn't mean that you are chosen. What that means is we can't presume we are automatically in the kingdom. Be warned by the, man, by the example of the man who has no wedding clothes. But you may be thinking, well, isn't being chosen all up to God? Isn't that the whole idea behind the word? Isn't it almost like I'm kind of just passive? I don't actually get a say in it. Yes, we do. And that's the whole point of Jesus telling the story. Otherwise, it would be meaningless for Jesus to warn us, wouldn't it? The whole point is, yes, we have to decide. Yes, we get free will. And God holds us responsible for our choices. And here Jesus challenges us to respond to him. I want to briefly look at the two types of people 
that Jesus is talking about. One, those called but not chosen and then secondly, those who are called and chosen. So firstly, who are those called but not chosen? I'm not going to deal with those who outright refuse the invitation like, the, like Israel in, in the first part of the parable. Because by and large, I believe that if you're here today, you have, at least on some level, a desire to know God. Perhaps you don't know much about Jesus at this stage, but at some level, you have a desire to find out about the kingdom and come into the kingdom. Like the man who is in the wedding hall without the right clothes. He wanted to be at the banquet. And there are lots of people who come to church who want to be here for all sorts of reasons but who may not be chosen. People who are religious but not Christian. They believe in God, at least at some level, but what they're trusting, and here's the crucial point, what they're trusting in isn't Jesus but they're trusting in themselves. They're trusting in their good life. They're trusting that they've got things together. They see coming to church as a good thing to do and they believe that God is pleased with them because they do the right thing. My question is, is that you? Is Jesus to you just a good moral teacher or a good example but not your saviour? Are you still carrying your own sins? If that's you, then you are called but not chosen. And I would love to help you, and there are any number of friends here who would also love to help you, be able to unburden yourself of your sins and the weight of religion. And for you to come to know Jesus as your saviour and king. Finally, Jesus' desire is for each and every one of us who are called to have the invitation in our hand, to be who have the invitation in our hand, to be chosen as well as called. And to know that we are chosen. What does that look like? How can you know that you are chosen? You can know you are chosen when you trust that Jesus has done everything, 100% of what it takes for you to be right with God. And I want to suggest just quickly three things to finish off that we will see in our lives, not perfectly, and at times it might seem like those things are barely there, but to one degree or another, we'll experience three things. I could choose other things, but I've just chosen three things. Humility, freedom, and joy. Humility, to not have to be proving ourselves to others. To not have to convince everyone else that I've got it all together. But to humbly admit that I'm a sinner who is forgiven. Freedom. To not have to live in a straitjacket of expectations and pretending to be someone I'm not. To be free to be the flawed human being I am because God loves me 
and accepts me exactly as I am. And thirdly, joy. I don't mean being happy all the time and going around singing uh, and smiling. I mean having a quiet joy that comes from knowing that I am loved and I am accepted. That regardless of circumstances, God has my back and will bring me safe into his kingdom forever. And Jesus' desire, the reason he tells this parable, the reason he spends so much time warning and challenging us is that he wants us to know his love and acceptance and he wants us to be there at that wedding feast which begins now but continues through all eternity. Let's pray. Thank you so much, Lord, that the wedding feast is full of joy. It's full of your love and you long to share it with us. Father, we pray that you would challenge us that if we, are, if we have been invited but have not yet chosen to accept that invitation, that you would change our hearts, that we might come to know Jesus. And for those of us who already do, we pray that we might know that more and more at a deeper level, that we would know your love, know your acceptance, that you, we would have the freedom of knowing that uh, you love us just how we are and we come to you just as we are. In Jesus' name, amen. Just like the king, um, 